0: Episode 56. Season 2. On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with award winning beatboxer and live looper, Galoosh. Galoosh discusses his love for live looping and gives some great insight on the history of beatboxing. Stay for an exclusive performance as well. Let's get ready. Aka Education starts now.
1: It's the AMCA Education Podcast We're oh, acapella to music class The AMCA Education Podcast Of educators who get out of these thoughts How to arrange whoa oh 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 do 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 do, 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 do. Education Podcast The UMCA Education Podcast with, with
0: Justin Glodish. Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish with another exciting episode of the Aka Education Podcast here with episode 56. I have one phenomenal musician with me to uh this week. Name is Galoosh. John Galusha goes by Galoosh. He is an American beatboxer and live looper. How good is this gentleman? Let's just say he is a multiple champion here, two-time vice champion in loop station at the American beatbox championships in 2018, 2019 champion at the 2020 beatbox games tournament, just to name a few. He's going to be talking about beatboxing, live looping amongst many other things this week, uh, this week on the podcast. Galush, welcome to the Aka education podcast.
2: Hey there, Justin. It's so good to be here.
0: I'm so glad that you're here. Now you're a pretty young dude. I'm not going to lie. You know, you just graduated from college, not that long ago. And just the
2: 2020,
0: <laughs> the, the, the COVID, year. No, I'm just kidding. Um, right. But what I found phenomenal going through your website and going through your videos is how polished what you do just is it, it, it's, it's definitely a passion of yours and it's, it's great to see. So, you know, going into like live looping, this is actually, you're the first person on the podcast that has done live looping and I, want to know all. I want to be a sponge. So could you just go into how you got into live looping and maybe go into some of the process of what it is that you need to do to be, to do live looping?
2: Yeah, you bet. Um, So my journey kind of started off uh, both as a singer and a solo beatboxer, like solo beatboxing, referring to just beatboxing on a microphone, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, loop station, beatbox, all that stuff is, is everything else uh, added into the fray. Um, I started off in, I think, maybe 2016 with uh, a KP3. It's this little kind of drum pad uh, synthesizer machine uh, that has has very limited but available looping functions. It's like a really kind of cheap tool at the time, Uh, really fun to explore with. But I quickly moved on to the RC505, which has been kind of the flagship um, industry standard uh, tabletop loop station um, for the last several years. you know they they just announced and have finally started releasing the Mark II of this machine. So there's quite a bit of buzz going on about uh, the new technology. Everyone's getting really kind of hungry and excited for. Um, but as for me and my journey, I started off um, being really deeply influenced by uh, a vast array of, of of music, and found that looping was what really drew me in and became the most um, creatively. Consuming um, kind of way of making music, um, I think for exactly the kind of reasons you pointed out. Like my, you, you mentioned like my videos feeling very polished. And, and uh, first of all, thank you very much. It's 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 mm-hmm. wonderful to um, uh, uh, you know hear that. I appreciate it. The um, polish and and the 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 joy and the kind of creative attention that goes into those things um, is because with this kind of music, you are so uh, kind of perfectly placed at that crossroads between live performing, live creating, um, and producing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that like in, in terms of like that spectrum between like singing in a band and having, you know, your part and, and, and fitting in with the bigger whole, um, versus producing in a studio where you have all of the creative control over every element of all the different music. I think that live looping is for me at least kind of that perfect nexus of, having all of the creative control as well as doing all of it live at the same time. It's kind mm. of this kind of perfect mesh of both worlds. I find it just so creatively and musically, um, engaging. It's, it's kind of all hands on deck, uh, but still retains that live, um, that live performing aspect.
0: Nice. And uh, you mentioned, you know, the, the tabletop, uh, loop station that you currently use. Um, do you also use any, you know, programs or software, in uh you know in your process
2: yeah so um i use ableton live Mm -hmm. um that is the software i do a lot of my recording and producing in um in terms of like you know uh, recorded or produced projects i use ableton um as for live performing i also use a Korg micro sampler um which is a really sweet keyboard from like 2009 that um allows me to like sing in a note like if I sing in a C I can then play the whole keyboard um, repitched with like one vocal sample just kind of played faster or slower that kind of speeds up or slows down the thing um, kind of analog uh, sit, like a- analog uh, sampling wise mm-hmm. and I can then kind of like play the keys back and it's like my same voice just now repitched across all the keys it's like a really really fun tool um, I use that in some of my um, videos that you had mentioned
0: that's awesome. And, you know, um, I like talking about this with you now, too, because um, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, this podcast is um, music technology is definitely on the rise in oh, yeah. the, you know, in the public school music curriculum. Um, you know, what, that's one of the things that we actually have in my current district is I'm teaching a foundations of music technology course you know, That's we awesome. have, we have MIDI keyboards for our students to use. And uh, we've talked about, you know, how they can use samplers. We've used GarageBand, which has, you know, some preset, like things that you can do within it. um And knowing that this is, there's definitely something out there that you could, you're putting this into practice, you know, and yeah. now that we're starting to teach students younger, you know, I I mean music technology for me, I mean, I'm I'm almost, you know, I'm gonna be 38 next month. And music technology for me in middle school was um the old school keyboards, you know, that had that were like that really off gray, had dust all Maybe over them. And you were, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it just, it's very, it's changed so much. You know, there's programs out there like um, Soundtrap, you know, which has oh, educational yeah. platforms, GarageBand, that's, things that's like what that.
2: I've used it with my students. Mm. Uh, and it's, it, it's just going at a breakneck, breakneck speed.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Ableton, you know, Ableton actually at one point that they have their push, the Ableton push, yep. and at one point they were actually offering um, free pushes to educators. Yeah. And then I think the the demand was so high that they couldn't keep up with it. And I they might have ju- actually just stopped at this point because so many yeah. people were wanting to get involved in this.
2: And I think it's a, I think it, it's it's a real um, indicator of, of what the climate is right now. Absolutely. But go yeah. Ahead. Now,
0: with your with your loop station, you know, for for educators that aren't really familiar with it, um, in terms of maintaining tempo all of those things, you know, because those mm-hmm. are like the basic fundamental things that most teachers teach their students. They talk about tempo, they talk about rhythm, they talk about those things. How do you, Yep. how does that work out with your loop station? How do you incorporate
2: that? Using a lot of the kind of foundational musical skills that we might see educators using in the classroom. Um, my particular, uh, the way, the way, the way that that particularly works for me is I have, for example, um, I got to set the BPM of my track. Um, there is a metronome built into the machine. I can use it or not. Um, the kind of initial um, way that, like you know, basic rhythm will show up in this, in this uh, way of performing is everything that you perform has to be lining up rhythmically, either uh, set to a metronome or just uh, put in and then, you know, starting it and stopping it at the beginning of the measure, right? Like if you wanted to create a four-measure percussion loop of some kind you'd have mm-hmm. to play that in time from when you started to when you're finished and then hit uh, hit, the, hit the button at, at, at the time to kind of restart the uh, restart the the, the sample mm-hmm. um, So there's a lot of um, kind of different ways that those foundational concepts will show up um, at the end of the day I think that um, the kind of development of a usable, uh terminology to kind of get students to kind of cross that gap of um kind of conceptualizing different things in different ways like obviously we can think of like how rhythm has been taught for so long Mm -hmm. um might not be uh the kind of you know culturally relevant way of teaching anymore i think that it's really exciting that there's a lot of development going into like relevant pedagogy and um you know, uh, presenting students with this material in a way that is digestible and intuitive and still kind of jives with how they, you know, kinesthetically understand music. I mean, I still very much, uh, always work with my students in terms of like their physical embodied rhythm, you know, physicalize your rhythm, right? Right. Um, that shows up with me. I'm physically hitting a button. I'm physically, you know, beatboxing in a thing or I'm playing in, um, some kind of element of my, of my piece here when I'm building it. Um, that can only happen if I am, uh, you know, as in tempo and, you know, in time with everything else. Uh, I mean, like with, you know, Jay Dilla and the MP3, or the, 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 <laughs> I have, a, I have NPC. Um, hmm. we, uh, you know He kind of famously thought of this sort of, uh, you know, foundational element of, hip hop, like the, the foundational technology of, of hip hop sampling and, and producing, um, mm-hmm. as an instrument, you know, the same way that someone would think of their violin, you know, it, right. the, I try and approach it with the, with the same mentality is that this is the instrument and I am the music maker. This is the tool through which I am able to do that musicing. Mm-hmm.
0: That makes sense. You know, and you know, you bring up, you know, the tempo thing, like, I'm not going to lie. I, tend to speed things up once in a while. So like that has always been oh, my yeah. worried with, you know, with looping and is, is the amount of practice that I would probably have just to make sure that I feel spot on. So things don't feel discombobulated, um, as um you know, as I'm creating something, you know? So, um, I just, I just was curious because I know that especially students in like the elementary and middle school setting, like even if you just have them do small samples of something, you know, Mm-hmm. really hammering out tempo, like that's a lesson in itself. And then you apply Entirely. it to what you're doing there. You know, um, this brings up, you know, you mentioned you, are a teacher, you work, um, with uh, a charter school, uh, charter school program throughout uh, Connecticut. And um, I actually
2: just left that program. Oh, and, oh okay. Uh, but, yeah, but I uh, continue to have, um, several independent lessons uh, with several students. Um, and I think maybe we'll talk about this later, but I'm also the program director for the Beatbox education platform mm-hmm. um, for the Loop Station uh, programming. So there's, there's definitely a lot of educating in one way or another going on with me, but and this I, is did, at- I did just leave that program, but-
0: no, it's yeah. funny. You actually just mentioned the Beatbox Education Platform, and that's exactly where I was going next. So, oh, sweet. Um, yeah. So you actually last year, last spring, you actually partnered uh, with Beatbox Education Platform to, you know, do, be uh, basically teach Beatbox Education. You became the director of the Loop Station Masterclass Program. So, um, what does that entail? And um, you know, how does anybody become involved with that?
2: Yeah. So a little bit more about Beatbox Education uh, Platform. As kind of a whole, uh, mm-hmm. it is this kind of, uh, I mean, I think it's a revolutionary idea where um, in kind of the mentality, like the, like the mindset going forward, kind of driving the project is to at once provide the best possible access to the um, authentic and um, hands-on learning uh, of beatboxing um, in all of the kind of current contemporary forms that it has grown into Mm -hmm. Um, by beatboxers and artists and musicians who are kind of deeply rooted and um, like authentically, uh, you know, in that kind of cultural uh, under that cultural umbrella in, in in some kind of authentic way. And um, at the same time, I think it's a very important kind of reality of um, providing some economic stability and some economic opportunities for the beatbox educators, right? Is, Mm Um, valuing the art form and the work of these artists. Um, ultimately, the 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 drive for some of this work is to establish and kind of codify the value of educating with this particular art form. Right. Um, in a way that is uh, that, that that does not currently have the same infrastructure around it as say acapella or um, other kind of you know music technology like you just mentioned. Um, there's all these different growing and emerging ways of of. Um, educating in music and we want to make sure that we are there ensuring that beatboxing is getting its proper, uh, you know, time in the spotlight as well. So beatbox education, um, there are two different, uh, programs. There are the solo beatboxing one and there is the loop station, um, department. So I, um, run the loop station program. We have a kind of we're actually kind of currently in the middle of a, of a big promotional push. Um, to build our client uh, base for our next session. We have run a few um, kind of prelim- preliminary beta testing um, sessions and they've all gone very well. Uh, we're now moving into the kind of official launch with some you know, promotional work going into the process. Nice. Now all that's just to say that in terms of uh, accessibility, one of the kind of like main goals of our program is to be as accessible and kind of ground floor as possible. So we have a kind of full beginner Introductory, um, like right out of the box, uh, kind of uh, programming, mm-hmm. and then we have um, programming designed for more advanced students um, that can kind of go beyond, kind of really apply creatively some of the different um, electronic uh, vocal processing techniques and 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 recording techniques, um, really kind of get a, a get a deeper um, dive into the. Applications and kind of creative, artistic identity-forming um, uh, techniques that pair the voice with technology, which I think you had mentioned earlier. Like that's also very much happening in in a cappella. It's happening in the uh, public education world. Mm-hmm. So the 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 pairing of the voice with technology and um, educating around that is really the focus of what I do.
0: Okay. And uh, you actually, this isn't the only thing that you have, have partnered up with. You actually, and I, I love what uh, I'm about to talk about, and hopefully you can explain a little bit more is, um, you know, we've, we've noticed, especially in, in society that there's, um, there's a lot of issues, <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, one of the things that you are a part of the well as well is the beatbox safe space initiative. And, um, yeah. I would love to hear all about this because, you know, we've had previous beatboxers on the show. Uh, we've had Spider Horse on here. We've had uh, mm-hmm. Lizzie Ultrasonic Newell on here. And, yep, um, you know, and what I found is that, you know, their participation in, uh, you know, in the beatboxing championships worlds or the American beatboxing championships or whatever, um, it's a very diverse uh, group of of people that are coming to perform, but, um, you know, for people like we're in a society now where acceptance is, is starting to become more and more important. And I'm just, I'm curious how the beat back, the beatbox safe space initiative works, um, you know, to help educate others, um, within the community. So can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely. So foundationally the safe space, um, initiative takes on kind of two roles. One is to um, advance the um, cultural change uh, that is needed in the beatbox world as, as very much like a global uh, community, which which means it's a very diverse issue with a lot of different facets mm-hmm. um, and, and a lot of different kind of solutions. And um, on a case-by-case basis, um, there's there's quite a kind of breadth of work to be, to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that uh, ties very nicely in with the uh, educational role that that plays um, very much uh, kind of pushing back against some of the kind of uh, normalized um, kind of cultural landscapes that are precluding um, a variety of individuals from feeling as um, kind of safe uh, and um, kind of present and visible and valued in the community uh, as, as there ought to be. Um, I think it's a very kind of foundationally understandable concept that as, as beatboxers who are kind of the world's premier users of the voice in ridiculously cool musical ways um, that uh, the value of including everyone in that musical and cultural conversation would go without saying. Um, But with the kind of extent and variety of kind of cultural backgrounds and norms and, um, uh, uh, institutional structural barriers to uh to access and and, and inclusion um there's definitely a, a lot of work ahead of us mm-hmm. um the other uh work that safe space does is handle um individual and and like specific cases uh of uh harassment and mis and mistreatment etc um so there is some kind of like very specific uh kind of deep in the kind of hands-on you know personal uh work that is done mm-hmm. and working through some of those issues um, kind of on a micro and macro lens is uh, really where the direction of this kind of initiative is going. Right. And it's a very, um, I think important conversation that I think is very important to this conversation that it, that it, it is put in the context of much broader kind of uh, societal things. Like you had mentioned um, that there's a lot of uh, volatile changes happening around the world and, the um, individual kind of cultural communities or or rather communities of like affinity to certain kind of cultural things um, aren't going to be immune from the lasting impacts that those kinds of things can have, um, whether or not they see it at the time. And I think that uh, a lot of the work for me as an educator um, is going to be kind of pulling back the curtain on some of those ways that uh, our music culture is not, cannot, never will be, never has been uh, divorced from the cultural context of the artists and the individuals who are um, existing within that culture.
0: Right. Um, and so this leads me to my next question is actually uh, one of your final projects that you actually did um for for college um for your for undergrad, I'm assuming, yeah, yeah. um is you uh, did an independent project uh, talking about the musical and cultural analysis of acapella, the acapella and beatboxing communities., yeah. you know, and um, I was wondering if you can just give like a brief synopsis of that because i've, you know, I've been gosh, I've been involved in acapella since. Um, you know, end of high school, beginning of college. So we're talking early 2000s. But I mean, my exposure to acapella was when I was a kid watching Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, you know, listening, listening to some of the old school groups, you know, things like that. But um, there's there's more to it than that. And I was just curious. So what were some interesting things that you found through your research with, you know, this musical cultural analysis of acapella and beatboxing?
2: Yeah, you bet. So um, chief among my concerns was particularly kind of breaking down the historical relationship between beatboxing and acapella music in terms of its um, both like it's sonic makeup. So like the kind of emergence of vocal percussion in capital VP air quotes, right? Um, the kind of historical ties between um, the role that beatboxing has played uh, with acapella music and its subsequent kind of development musically. Um, so there's a lot of kind of historical kind of tracking and uh, analysis of, of of trends and of different kind of musical aspects. Um, I, I, I broke down quite heavily some of the specific like um, musical analysis, things like what the kind of musical choices were by the different uh, vocal percussionists and beatboxers and how those kind of tracked through history. But largely um, it was to put all of that into a context where we can better we, we can start to better understand the way that um, acapella music and acapella culture was um, presented by w- with a very specific need, uh, and that need was then filled by beatboxing in, in a specific way um, that allowed for acapella to develop into a very new um, kind of musical and cultural space that it, uh, that it otherwise, if not for the addition of beatboxing into its kind of um, you know, sonic palette into its kind of cultural identity uh, would have been possible. Mm. So essentially it was um, a broad sweeping kind of context to this question. Uh, how does the kind of, how does tracking the um, and without loading the term cultural appropriation of beatboxing into the acapella culture, the um, recreation and the recontextualization, the transformation of beatboxing um, into vocal percussion, how and what that means um, for the kind of historical relationship between the two different kind of separated cultures, um, and where and, and, and what that means moving forward for our somewhat overlapping Venn diagram of communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, largely speaking, the sort of uh, end of this uh, research, or, or where where it led me to, was better understanding. The way that a cappella music um and, and vocal percussion in particular, like you know, the the, the 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 specific art form that is vocal percussion as it is different than beatboxing, is uh, very carefully and um, intentionally constructed in a manner to um, better fit the cultural context, the um authentic, uh, rather the the, the cultural authenticity uh, of the performers native or rather uh, literate in the kind of cultural landscape of collegiate a cappella music specifically. Mm -hmm. It really becomes the the specific creation of vocal percussion as an art form. um, The transformation of beatboxing into vocal percussion uh, essentially is a process by which, Collegiate a cappella, um, you know, performers and, and individuals are able to um, perform a uh, pr- perform an art form that would not be authentic or at home in a cappella music mm-hmm. authentically. It is that process by which it is um, culturally appropriated and then recreated and transformed so that it can be then um, authentically performed by the individuals within that culture. And in that way, there's no longer... Once it can be performed like that um, authentically, it, it it the the danger and the concern um, and the kind of this this is the part where I kind of talk about like, like the future of the uh, kind of Venn diagram here. The concern then is that that process that I kind of tracked through this project um, is like the, the 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 danger of all that is that there's a a, a form of kind of cultural uprooting. Um, And there's a kind of cutoff of the original influence and the original um, art form that inspired vocal percussion um, in a way that leads us to really kind of problematic issues of cultural appropriation, um, kind of questions of uh, kind of like, what is the just way of moving forward, kind of tracking this history? Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of most importantly, how do we as educators teach about this subject? How do we as um, beatboxers or, or acapella people, or in my case, uh, some and a lot of both, um, how do we sit in this kind of very tense and um, until recently very kind of contrived um, kind of cultural overlap? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do we teach about this in a way that does not sort of prolong that issue? Okay.
0: Okay. So I'm just curious because you know I I essentially you know I was a vocal percussionist you know I'll, yeah. I would say I was a beatboxer, but I wasn't necessarily a beatboxer. like I I had always right. determined I, I, would, like,
2: I would love to dive deeper and get into get into some of some of the specifics because it, obviously it's, it's very tough to sort of like point out all the generalized right, right, right. without really kind of getting into the meat of it.
0: Right. So like, you know, I, I came into my college group as a vocal percussionist. I was the vocal percussionist for my professional group for, you know, for years. And, yep. um, but you know, there's, there's a clear cut difference. Like, you know, what I'm gathering is there's definitely a clear cut difference from what a vocal percussionist like, like, um, you know, like I'd say myself or like a Wes Carroll, um, would do, yeah, exactly. you Actually, know, I,
2: I, I use some of Wes Carroll's, uh, videotape, uh, yep teaching uh dvds um, yeah same as me <laughs> there vhs is that there, there, there are vhs tapes first um oh, yeah
0: yeah <laughs> uh, i yeah, ended but up like, the dvds for, for example, as well so um,
2: yeah so so as part of my project i i, I analyze some of the ways that vocal percussion is taught and is specifically taught in a way that creates a different art form than beatboxing mm-hmm. because of the you know I, I mean and 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 really diving into the definitions here the, the vocal percussion like the capital vp the kind of um, created after the fact, uh, inspired by beatboxing vocal percussive performance there. I mean it, and, and frankly, it is kind of like one of those uh, facial tissue versus Kleenex things like mm-hmm. Kleenex is a facial tissue and vocal percussion with the capital VP is vocal percussion under the umbrella term. I think it's very telling that vocal percussion with the capital VP mm-hmm. um, kind of like claims the sort of very original and foundational status. Um, just linguistically, being like, capital vocal percussion, the acapella <laughs> thing, is mm-hmm. like the same word as the general umbrella category for all things that are percussive music made with the voice. It kind of is is a little bit um indicative of the problematic cultural appropriation issues that are going into this whole thing. Um, when like there's this, this sort of like usurping of the uh timeline and being like, hey, this acapella thing that was kind of created by Uh, and and let's get into things here, like specifically white, affluent, collegiate, um, elite, uh, like kind of cultural spaces and Mm -hmm. and the people that are kind of produced by those spaces and the kind of cultural atmospheres that are created by those spaces um, and how that is a pretty indicative um, tale of like all things in the history of American music being like indebted to African-American music and very infrequently giving them the proper credit. Um, And I think that that's really like where this all led for me was trying to better understand and break down the role of my own artistic and kind of creative work um, in the context of the history of this art form, right? So beatboxing being uh, like, if if you were to go into describing the difference between beatboxing and vocal percussion, beatboxing being the uh, entirely hip hop, kind of worldview, right? Like there's this um, Afrocentric versus Eurocentric kind of lens through which we kind of see different musical logics, like different lenses through which we can kind of see and approach music. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Eurocentric one has like the ringing barbershop chords, the um, European orchestra uh, history and like like lineage, right? There's a lot right. of like, you know, both, you know, specifically musical uh, characteristics and identifiers, as well as some of the kind of cultural values that those things in, that those things entail and then are usually aligned with, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of like homophony uh, as a um, kind of textural uh, convention in arranging um, as opposed to like heterophony in the Afrological musical arranging tradition, right? The way that shows up in terms of vocal percussion versus beatboxing is just one of many examples. Is that traditionally vocal percussion is taught to fit in with that homophony aesthetic convention, right? So like vocal like vocal percussionists are taught to um, perform like the role of a rock and roll drummer in a rock band, which is of course the, I mean also kind of like white people yoink in black culture and making it you know rock and roll Elvis stuff as opposed to like black artists like Big Mama Thornton you know hound dog right. that whole thing. Um, yep.
0: You you are literally talking about what. Um, you know, I go through a whole history of rock and roll unit, and we go back yes, through through you know blues music and just it's where it's just kind of
2: like the latest iteration of this very long kind of cultural lineage of the mm-hmm. appropriation of black art forms mm-hmm. and the recontextualization of those into white spaces in such a way that makes the white artists not feel bad, not feel like they have to kind of change or be inauthentic to do the to do the music that has been influential to them, and they are entirely indebted to for the success of their musical cultures, right? right? Like the success of rock and roll music would not have been possible without the predating success of black art forms of rock and roll music, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, blues, et cetera, right? The predating uh, beatboxing tradition and the specific use of black art form, hip hop oriented beatboxing in acapella music those things are the ones that are responsible for the ability of, you know, a cappella music to do its whole uh, staying relevant through genre thing, right? Without beatboxing, without vocal percussion, ra- rather, um, acapella music would not be able to do its whole balancing act of staying on top of whatever the top genre is, right? You wouldn't be able to do, like, dubstep when it's relevant, like, pitch perfect on... Uh, Uh, the sing-off, and then when that's no longer the popular style, move on to the next one. You would not be able to do that in terms of your arrangements, in terms of your kind of sonic palette, in terms of your ability to perform it all live, et cetera, without beatboxing in your arsenal. Um, And I think that the way in which that we as educators who return us to the educating thing teach about vocal percussion, it is taught with this lineage that re-centers all of the um, kind of cultural identifiers into a white context, mm. right? Like West Carroll in his videos, he's talking about like uh, the rock and roll drum kit instead of the eight oh eight drum machine, right? Instead of the hip hop based uh, percussive language and percussive textures and percussive mm-hmm. um, kind of culturally relevant um, ways of teaching, right? Like the, the, the pedagogy is recentered into a white into a white racial lens as opposed to the one that was the one informing the art form that has been culturally appropriated. So, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so uh, there's so much that goes into it here as educators that we have to be able to identify those trends, be able to identify those patterns, uh, break out of that cycle, and teach about vocal percussion in the context of its indebtedness to beatboxing and teach the kind of... Cl- and, and, and clearly point out the uh, markers of this process happening so that we can be more aware and engaged with that process. Because um, so much of the issue here is that the kind of process of whiteness and whitewashing this, um, this acapella culture mm-hmm. is that when the kind of default vocal percussionist uh, is Wes Carroll or Jeff Thatcher or one of those, right? Mm-hmm. There is a um, kind of recentering of a uprooted culture, um, and then it loses its kind of initial ties and it's really that process that is important to identify and call out
0: that's 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 very interesting i I'm, I'm enjoying hearing this take on it because you know it's again it's refreshing to hear a new perspective on it because for me personally i would have never had thought that you know like i i already had my my basic idea my basic idea i'll say of you know, how the way I always saw it was vocal percussion was derived from this beatboxing culture, you know, and um, me not not putting together two and two together, you know, changing the the viewpoint and the lens from which vocal percussion is being, you know, viewed from as opposed to beatboxing, you know, so because I've always had students understand. ask questions, you know, they always ask questions like what's the difference between the two? No, and in in essence, it's like again, like you said before, it's like really you have this blanket of percussive sounds that are made, but like in in essence, like beatboxing would be at the top of that chain, and then trickle down would be kind of this. Because in in my in my opinion, there's so much more involved in what beatboxers do compared to. What you're to,
2: identifying there is the like heterophony versus homophony thing mm-hmm. that beatboxers um, like inherent to the art form is, you know, both like the Afrological musical aesthetic, that whole thing that you kind of contract through, um, you know, African-American music in, in terms of just like the American popular musical history um, mm-hmm. all, all the way back. Um, like how that specifically shows up is like doing, you know, multiple different cross rhythms or doing a, a a wide variety of kind of Sonic Palace, a variety of different sounds, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Sounds, you know, multiple sounds at the same time, right? No vocal percussionist is going to be singing and humming and beatboxing and doing a variety of different, like, pitched and non-pitched percussive sounds at the same time. They're going to be doing kick snares, high hats, because that's what the rock drums do, Mm -hmm. and that is what their role is in that particular musical um, arrangement uh, tradition.
0: Right, absolutely. You know, like the I, I think one of the first videos that I saw, the first exposure that I had to beatboxing was Razelle, and yeah. um, you know, and it was that classic "If Your Mother Only Knew" video, you know. And from the there, that and
2: the chorus at the, at the
0: same, same time. time, and it like the video just like everyone in the audience, it blew their minds, you know. Absolutely. And it blew my mind watching that video, and but again, watching that video and looking at Other beatboxers within the genre at, you know, beatboxing championships, you know, things like that. Um, There was actually like the year that I was on um, America's Got Talent, there was a phenomenal beatboxer by the name of Butterscotch who still performs today. Phenomenal work and like doing fantastic work. And that was, that was, you know, watching them perform was just, wow, you know, and and a great singer to boot like just had it had the whole oh, yeah. package you know and um so to me i've always seen it as two completely different things but it, it and, just you know, you, seems you, like you had
2: mentioned Spider Horse earlier and actually yeah. talked about them in in, in the process right cuz Cause I, cuz cause i was in um Carnegie Hall when they won uh the open in 2019 mm-hmm. and that was to me i think one of the most interesting um kind of like cultural reconvergences mm-hmm. right it's like their success at the Open um, really, really highlighted for me the way that beatboxing, when in uh, when informed by a hip-hop cultural lens, was only going to be ever viewed successfully, favorably by judges, etc., in an a cappella context when it was able to adhere to the urological conventions aesthetically, right? Mm-hmm. Spider-Horse um, does a lot of harmonizing, they do a lot of homophony, they do a lot of um, uh, arrangement things that are not only now happening in a cultural context where hip-hop is the dominant, most, you know, best-selling music genre and right. it's informing a lot of the kind of cultural um, norms musically that mm-hmm. a cappella music is now uh, taking on as well. That's kind of the magic of acapella music, right is that there's this whole kind of conversation about um is it a genre like is acapella music a genre? No because you can do Gregorian chant all the way up through trap music, right right but the thing is is that uh the resistance that acapella music has to being kind of pigeonholed into a genre is explicitly that process of white of whiteness at work right it is the i mean basically acapella is one of the most um, kind of prolific arrangement styles for cultural appropriation out there. Mm. I mean, it specifically is, is like perfectly designed to be able to do any genre and stay current and stay relevant and always be indebted and kind of built into and focused in this. Um, and, and by the way, by the way, I'm using white and whiteness in terms of like the verb not like the skin tone, um, mm-hmm. like the, 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 Process like the right cultural process. Um, it's always able. It, it is always able to be kind of really firmly grounded and rooted in that like collegiate structure that is already deeply inherently elite, white, Eurocentric, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we see that there's this kind of perfect process of uh, style of arranging versus genre, there is um, a kind of silencing and lack of focus turned on the role of whiteness in acapella music that allows it to do that stuff. It allows it to take on whatever is the most popular genre, even if it's not um, culturally authentic or inherent to the artists that are performing it. Right. Mm-hmm. If you see a bunch of like affluent white elite college singers performing some, Popular song arranged that is not from their musical kind of cultural, uh, uh, uh authentic niche or authentic expression, right? Like, the mm-hmm. one of the examples I go into in in, in, in my work was, uh, speaking of Dick Sharon earlier, actually, funny enough, was the Tufts, um, Bezelbubs, they did Can't Touch This in like 1992, mm-hmm. right? And they have this kind of like no, no, don't, 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 can't touch it. like this kind of really send up kind of funny um, like almost a parody of beat of early beatboxing, mm-hmm. but there's kind of this un- there's this extra level there of like using the uh distance offered by acapella being an arranging technique as opposed to a genre or having to be authentically engaged in the cultural context of a music right. that they're performing as opposed to just like what they're covering. Um, there's a level of uh, kind of buffer and distance and, and, and untouchableness to the performers that is offered to them because of that kind of whitewashing, um, that, that process of whiteness that is shielding them from having to be authentically engaged in the cultural context of the music that they're, that they're covering. Mm-hmm. And that's really the process by which uh, beatboxing made it into acapella and became transformed into vocal percussion.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like that's awesome. And like you, you bring up, you know, you bring up Tufts and, you know, Tufts has had as like its own, the have had are like their own little niche in the acapella world. I remember
2: I, I performed with them in like 2018, uh, yeah. the Bowdoin Medibemsters, which I sang with like, it's a, you know, from, from, uh, it's, it's like an 85 year old uh, barbershop group from this college Bowdoin in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like one of the OG barbershop groups that like toured Europe in the 60s and stuff like that. I mean, uh, incredible like lineage there. Um, getting to perform with the Beelzebub's, all that stuff. Like it's it's a really interesting kind of um, little kind of cultural bubble niche thing that happens there.
0: Yeah. Now, like you, you've brought up a lot, of, a lot of great things today that I think, um, you know, should really, you know, for everyone listening, kind of like open their eyes a little bit, you know, going back to, you know your educational platform that you know working with you know Beatbox Education and whatnot. Have you found? Have you found with COVID has it made it easier to approach it? You know virtually or would you more prefer the the in person? Like how has COVID affected um, what you've been doing?
2: Well, the BEP is specifically an online program. Um, That's good. And that is because, and that is both because. Um, it's an effective way of being able to kind of navigate some of the logistics of having to wrangle students from uh, all over the world. I mean, we have several students from, uh, you know, Europe, um, uh, outside the U.S. really, Um, as well as the fact that uh, one of the more authentic platforms uh, and one of the kind of like culturally kind of normal and, like culturally relevant in terms of our pedagogy mm-hmm. um it is kind of normal and and authentic and and uh this is like where that music is taking place right that is where the performances where the uh where the videos where the um education is happening uh in a way that is i think a really exciting and new venue for it mm-hmm. so the aside from the in person like beatbox battles or loop station battles that happen um so much of the cultural landscape is deeply informed by its presence on the internet, right? like the, the the internet itself is playing a a massive role in developing both the um kind of cultural makeup uh of the of of the students that we have as well as the actual like musical aspects of this of this music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like genre influences on loop station music uh cannot be. Like like we can't ignore the role of the internet in shaping the genre conventions that are deeply tied to how we teach about the loop station, mm-hmm. right? Like what rhythms we teach about, what techniques, what sound design, what production techniques, those are all going to be informed by international influences of different genres um, and different producers uh, because that's where this is being, um, that, that's where this music is being produced, consumed, and like remixed. I mean, like in, in, remixed, not just in terms of like musical remixes, but like, Culturally remixed, right? Like when when there's um like OG uh golden era hip hop sampling mm-hmm. remix has become the like duetting on TikTok like, like that like that is the new yeah. kind of um, <laughs> functional model of what it means to remix something in terms of like adding on a layer of kind of cultural identity and um putting it out into this kind of space um where the producer and the consumer are are, are one in the same. Right. Um. I think that that's a very um. Kind of deeply related to our our work as educators uh, in terms of beatboxing, in terms of loop stationing, especially, um, is being conscious of how our audience and how our students are all also artists and musicians themselves. Right. right? Um, I mean, the the vast majority of um, people consuming this content are also at some level doing it themselves. I think I think that there's there's, there's something to be said that uh, about that. That's one. It's amazing how um, accessible and engaging and interesting and kind of musically um, available and accessible to everyone that this kind of music is. Mm-hmm. I mean, beatboxing especially, like anyone can try and start learning to beat, learning to beatbox. It meets you where you are. Um, these are some of the kind of like elevator uh, pitch things that you would do for like a why to, um, like why, why would a public music educator, um, like a public school music educator, want to use beatboxing? it meets all of your students where you are. It is not expensive, right? Mm-hmm. It, it it kind of is um, filling this role that is desperately needed um, at the same time as it is uh, existing in this very um, kind of diverse and wide-reaching um, extensive community that is also very accessible and available online.
0: Right. Now, um, before we go, I know that this is an audio podcast, but uh, if... You know for everyone that's listening, um you know i I can see John um Galush uh, and Galoosh can hey, see me. Going? and uh, John's got his stuff in front of him. You know, he's got his loop I station. It looks like he's 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 ready to go. And I was wondering, man, if you uh, you could uh, just give a little sample of, you know some stuff you've been working on. Oh, he's he's focused,
2: yeah. um, I think what I'll do is I might uh, just play a quick track, do something um, that'd be great. Yeah, I, w- I would love to. Maybe we can uh, close out with that.
0: That'd be great, yeah. I now feel like I'm like Jimmy Fallon about to introduce my musical guest for the evening, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'll do perhaps like my personal favorite song of mine. Um, it, was, it was probably one one of the uh, earlier ones that I, that I put out. Um, it's an original song. It's called Permanent Time Out. Um, and it's, I think, probably one of my favorite songs to to perform. Uh, hope you all enjoy.
0: Great, thank you. Here's Galoosh.
2: Chang, ma, 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 ma,
1: ma, 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 ma
0: really awesome dude. ladies and gentlemen I'm going to leave Galush's uh, you know all of his information in the episode description for this episode go check it out he's got a lot of videos on his website and I I, I wish you could have been in the room and watched what I just saw because that was that was awesome thank you so much again for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast and uh, we'll be right back Hey everyone, this is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts, and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and the beauty of it is we'll distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor, and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. A special thanks again to Galush for joining me this week. I love this episode. I'm going back to listen to it myself. I learned a lot this week and that performance, damn, that was good. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on all social media accounts at AkaEdPodcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now on TikTok. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes released every Monday. You can also now tune into the podcast on AkaVille Radio, AkaVille.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash akaedpodcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.